You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Scripture reading this morning is from Philippines 2, verse 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born to in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Well, thank you, Emily. At this time, I'd ask you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this beautiful passage about your Son, Jesus Christ, about his ministry to us on this earth, would you grow in our imaginations an image of Jesus so great that he becomes so beautiful, so compelling, so believable, that he overwhelms our imaginations and makes us a people who are faithful to him in spite of all of these things calling for our attention in our world, even today. Make Jesus the center of our attention, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Dr. Helen Rosevere was a graduate of Cambridge University. After some additional medical training in 1953, she went to the Congo in Africa. And while almost every other missionary fled during the bloody civil war in the Congo, she remained faithful. She stayed and put herself in the path of extreme harm. She made a tremendous impact on the country, not only as it related to medicine, but also as it related to the spreading of the Christian faith. She died in 2014, and collections of the stories she often told began to circulate. And one story she often told was about a boy named Paul. Paul lived during the time when the country was at its most unstable. He had heard about the rebels who were acting as terrorists, but all of a sudden they were now right in front of him. They were shouting at him, pointing their guns at him, but he stubbornly refused to speak to them. He stood right in their path, but refused to speak to them. They threw him to the ground. They hit him with the butts of their gun. Paul knew exactly what these rebels wanted, what these terrorists wanted. They wanted to know where the local boys were, where the boys' school was. And he knew if he could just stall them long enough, the boys would be able to get into a place of hiding, and they would be protected from being captured and trained as future soldiers. 
So he intentionally put himself in harm's way, blocked the path of these rebels, of these terrorists. They eventually stepped in front of him and demanded of him that he speak up. They asked, where are the students? And with a firm but trembling faith, he still said nothing. Eventually he was beaten and knocked unconscious. They realized they could get nothing out of him and they threw him by the way. Eventually he was dragged to Dr. uh, Rosevier's hospital. And as he regained consciousness, he asked the doctor, have the soldiers gone, doctor? Have the soldiers gone? She told them that they had. He then asked, doctor, did I save the boys? She said, yes, Paul, you did. But almost as soon as the words had left her mouth, Paul corrected her and his own question and said, you know what, doctor? No, it wasn't really me. It was the Lord Jesus through me. You want to know what's most shocking about this story that Dr. Rosevere often told? It's not just that Paul had only been a Christian for one year. It's that Paul was only nine years old. What would cause this boy to act with such profound maturity? Where did he develop? What did he know that gave him such a robust faith to put himself in harm's way, even when it cost him so much? Well, he did it because he knew this passage. He had a mindset, the mindset that the Apostle Paul wants us all to have in this passage, the mindset of Jesus. That's how this man, Paul, in the Congo, was able to stand strong in the face of these rebels. He had the mindset Paul wants you and I to have. It's a mindset he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he wants them to have. This morning, I want to look at this mindset the Christian community is called to adopt. And it's a mindset that first has an outlook towards downward mobility, and then there's a mindset with an outlook towards upward mobility. So we'll look at downward mobility, then upward mobility. So first, let's look at the mindset of downward mobility we find in this passage. And it's found in verses 6 through 8. What do we read? It's almost like a set of stairs, maybe even an escalator, going down, 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 so deep. It's almost as though there is no end in sight. The escalator starts in verse 6. Jesus existed in the form of God. Some translations might say, by nature, the nature of God, form of God. What does this mean? What does it mean to be in the form of God? Well, there's some confusion here because when we hear form, we could think that Jesus had this sort of shell or outward trappings of God. But if that's what the Apostle Paul intended to say, he could have used a different Greek word. He could have used the word schema. And he ends up using the word morphe, which is where we get things like metamorphosis and morphology. Uh, it's, It's a more intense word. It refers to the essence of something, the qualities that make something what it is and not something else. Jesus existed in the morphe of God, the form of God. What this passage is saying, unapologetic and in the strongest way possible, is that Jesus had an existence before he was born. He had a pre-human existence state, and everything that is true of God was true of him. 
Paul is writing this passage only some 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we find here is one of the strongest statements that Jesus was indeed divine that we find in the entire New Testament. But this is where the escalator starts. And this, but what we read and what we sing about in this passage is about downward mobility. The escalator starts going down to humility. Though Jesus was in the very nature of God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, to be seized upon, to be held on to. The preexistent one made himself nothing. Paul is saying in the clearest way possible that Jesus existed as God prior to becoming the human being, Jesus of Nazareth. And rather than drawing upon his rights, rather than drawing upon his privilege that rightly belonged to him, he, in the form of God, took on human flesh, and he descended. This is what Christians call the incarnation. Christ remained who he was, even when he became who he was not as the great 4th century theologian Gregory of Nazianzus said. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be seized upon, to be grasped, to be held on to. He made himself nothing. It's not as though Jesus stopped being divine when he became human. No. But he did empty himself of the glory that was rightfully due to his name. His human flesh, wherever it went, did not receive a myriad of angels singing praises and glorifying his name. But it's not just that he did not see his equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. It's not just that he became a human, but he he became a human that was a servant. He wasn't a king. He wasn't part of a royal lineage. He was a servant, the low of a low. And if it couldn't even get worse, he was the victim of injustice is executed on trumped-up charges on a Roman cross. Down, down, down. This is the mindset of downward mobility that Paul wants us to take on. Prince Harry and Meghan have been in the news quite a bit for stepping down from working as royals, and yet they still dress and still conduct themselves as people with tremendous privilege. But imagine how they said, we are stepping down and we're actually choosing to live in the poorest part of England. And not only that, we are getting rid of all of our wealth, and we are going to work minimum wage jobs and learn to be servants of the people of England. No flights, no fine dressing, no nice cars, no privilege, nothing. We want to be servants. Well, this would only be a small glimpse, not even a, a, a any, it's, it's a small comparison to what Paul is saying Jesus did for us. The one who was present when the world was created, the one who knows all things, who's worthy of all attention, worthy of all worship, the one who at his very essence is God, decided he would lay aside all that he was entitled to and take upon a real human nature. The one who was present at creation, embracing the limitations of being a human being, born of a woman, living in a backwoods town in Nazareth, crying, longing for milk from his mother. The one who knew all things, going through the pain and li- and of sounding out words and learning how to read, the limitations of a human brain, forced to struggle 
This is not abstract theology Paul is trying to get across to the church in Philippi and to me and to you. This is the type of theology that nine-year-old Paul in the Congo understood deeply. It's the mindset of Jesus. Not that he was rubbish and is worthy of nothing. No, that he was, that Jesus was worthy of all praise and adoration. But he decided to lay these things aside for the good of others. When you think of God, what comes to your mind? If you close your eyes and I say, what is God like? Do you think of downward mobility? Paul is saying, when you think of God, this is what should come to mind. And if you want to follow this God, this is the mindset you should take on. This mindset of downward mobility, emptying himself, willing to be a servant. This is the mindset of of Christ towards downward mobility. But now let's look at the mindset of upward mobility we find in verses 9 through 11. We read, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What is the mindset that Jesus has towards upward mobility? We've seen his, his instincts, his character to go down, down, down. Now, how does he go back up? Well, the passage is showing us that the way he gets lifted up is as he is at a race to the bottom, God in his kindness is lifting him up, him up and elevating him to heights that are unimaginable. That's what this passage means when it says that Jesus is exalted, that he's given a new name. This happened not only at the resurrection, but it actually happened at the ascension. Interestingly enough, this, is, this Sunday is the first Sunday after Ascension Thursday, the 40 days where we remember Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, walked the earth and then ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand, to be enthroned next to God. And Jesus of Nazareth, with his hair and with his skin, with his feet and his hands, with his smile, This man, who is also fully God, has now received the name that is above all names, the name that was revealed to Moses and to God's people in times of old. The name Yahweh now belongs over the head of Jesus of Nazareth. This is what Paul is talking about. This is the type of exaltation Jesus has received, and this must be our mindset towards upward mobility. As we pursue being a servant, we should know that God will elevate. God will lift up. God saw Jesus' willingness to take on a human nature, to die a sacrificial death for his people. And God was so happy and approved of what Jesus had done and said, Yes, that's my boy. Here is your reward. You now, not only as uh, God who you always were, but even in this human nature, you now are Lord. You are, you are one in purpose in being with God. All knees will bow to you. All praise, glory, and attention that only is given to God now is rightly directed towards you as well. Paul isn't saying Jesus became divine. Jesus already was divine, but Paul is saying that now a human being, human nature, is included in the rightful worship of the God of Israel. This is unthinkable in the mind of the Jewish people. 
But what Paul is arguing is that not only did this happen once in history, but for all eternity going forward, God forever, in the council of the Godhead, there will be human flesh. Jesus, the God-man, forever fully part of the Godhead. A son of Adam now represents and is a part of the divine council. A son of Adam is now worthy of the worship that is only ascribed rightly to God the Creator. But this passage also reminds us that if Jesus is Lord, if he is Yahweh, then every knee will bow. Every tongue eventually will confess that he is the one who is rightfully charged in charge and no one can stand in competition to him. He will be the one to audit all of our lives. He will be the one to put everyone in their place. So who are the rivals to this elevated Jesus, the second person of the Godhead? Who in your life does your knee bow to? Who would you do anything to get attention from? And whatever they tell you to do, you will do. Your boss, your peers, your friends, your neighbors. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate one to whom every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He's the one that all your allegiance and attention should be given to. And it shouldn't be done reluctantly. It should be done with joy. Maybe keeping with the royal family illustrations, Jesus' exaltation is sort of like one of your relatives marrying into the royal family. Can you imagine how exciting this would be? Now you have within your bloodline forever a connection to the royal bloodline. You now, in your relationship to your relative, have access to the royal ears. How do we respond to news like this? Well, Jesus is our brother, and he has pursued upward mobility the right way by pursuing downward mobility. And he has been lifted up, and he now sits in heaven, and he is the one who we pray to. He is the one who has been elevated by God. He is the one interceding for us. His exaltation should give us great boldness. When you pray, you are praying to a human who hears your prayers, who advocates for you within the counsel of the Godhead, who knows what suffering feels like, who knows what injustice feels like, who knows what temptation to sin feels like, but who is also your brother. And he is at now, at this time, working to subdue all of his and your enemies. And he is representing you to the royal family, and he's representing your needs well. Do you know how nine-year-old Paul in the Congo had the hope to serve his brothers by distracting the rebels? He knew that Jesus got a name by going down. He knew that Jesus got a true identity through service. He knew that this was the truest story in the world. And so the only rightful response now is that you and I would humble ourselves we would serve and bend our knee to this Jesus, but also serve and humble ourselves to those who are in our family, serve and humble ourselves to those who are in our church community. Stop seeking to make a name for ourselves and seek to lift up others and know that the path towards upward mobility starts by going down. Jesus' downward mobility led to his upward mobility, and he heard on his way up that it is finished. Where he is, he will bring us all also. He's making a room for us. This is the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.